Hi, everyone. Welcome to our Relearn podcast. We're super excited for today's conversation as far as being our authentic selves. And what does that mean? Before we get started, in terms of introductions, my name is Mega and my co-host is Kelly. We started Relearn because we had a conversation about our background and how much we struggled navigating through our you know, growing up phase, our career phase, because of all the things that we've learned when we were a kid or when we were younger, didn't really fit with how things are like today. And so we've had to really say like, thanks to our parents, thanks to our educators and stuff like that. But we had to reshape what we know today is to make sure that we're successful, that we're heard, that we're you know equitable in, our, in the way that we we live life. So that's one of the reasons and primary reasons, unless Kelly have something else to add, of why we started this whole thing. Uh, and I'm really, really proud of where we've come because we've had some amazing guests to share about their backgrounds, the history, and the change and the positive change that we can do as a community moving forward. So Kelly would love to hear more about our guests today and our friends here today too. Awesome. Thanks, Manga. I think you're spot on about what we're trying to achieve with um, our podcast. It's all about relearning so we can live, you know, happier and more successfully, whether it's in our personal or professional lives. Today, we're actually going to go into more of a professional uh, personal lens to talk about living our authentic selves and really trying to break through the barriers or invisible barriers that we face in society, the, the racism that we we face, um, the discrimination and all the learnings we need to do in order for everyone to be more inclusive. And so for us as underrepresented groups to live more authentically. Um, I'm excited to have Fiona Chan and Lisa Lim, who are emergency room nurses here with us to talk about the healthcare experiences of what that's like and um, for them to share their personal stories as well. And so I won't kind of um, go too far into it. I'd rather have Fiona and Lisa introduce themselves before we go into um, our questions. Uh, Fiona, do you want to start? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me here. I'm very lucky that I could tell my story. My name is Fiona Chan. I've been a nurse for approximately eight years. I've been an ER nurse for seven, and I've done post-acute and home health for a year. Um, when I was a home health nurse, I served primarily the Asian American communities in both Chinatowns in San Francisco and in Oakland. Awesome. Thanks, Fiona. Lisa, do you want to start with your intro? Uh, my name is Lisa Lim, and uh, I've also been a nurse for about seven years with my license. And I started out on the floor, so I had done about three years. Um, and it was um, like step-down um, telemetry units. And then I was fortunate enough to transfer down to the emergency department a little over two years ago where um, I met Fiona. And the hospital that we work in, in um, Santa Clara County, we serve uh, largely towards the um, uh, Hispanic and um, Asian population, Vietnamese population. And I feel like it's been really humbling and also very um, rewarding to be the people that stay at this hospital to um, serve and care for um, uh, the people in our community. I feel like it's uh, a very um, difficult job, but um, very fulfilling one. Well, I want to start by saying 
thank you for all um, the service that you provide, especially for um, the community for these communities of color. Um, I know during COVID, you all worked even extra hard um, to you know save lives. So I definitely want to share gratitude on this episode. Um, Fiona and I have talked quite a bit about um, you know the anti hate especially against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders during COVID. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about that because it does relate to uh, um, the challenges when it comes to living our authentic selves. Um, so Fee, I know you have some incidents uh, where people have, um, you know, said really hurtful things to you in the ER. Um, would you mind sharing those experiences with us? I think that would be a um, fair first question, even though I know it's going to be a tough one to hear. Sure. So during the beginning of the pandemic, like a lot of people know healthcare workers were recognized as heroes. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I felt like many Asian Americans in healthcare like myself were seen as villains. You know, as an ER nurse, I've witnessed and experienced plenty of patients and visitors project their anger and frustration However, it just, it became extremely volatile. People yelled racial slurs at me, blamed me for spreading COVID and making patients sick. And then I should go back to where I came from. Well, you know, you know in the past, I've had patients refuse my care because of my ethnicity or the way I looked. Um, but I've never felt so fed up. You know, it was tough to be a scapegoat. I was tired of convincing people that I was not the enemy, that I was on their side and sacrificing my own health to help them and their loved ones. But for me, what was worse than being verbally abused was taking care of victims of anti-Asian hate. Now, most of them, unfortunately, were physically assaulted, you know, pistol-whipped, beaten to a pulp. But... A few of them were ran over by vehicles. Um, I remember taking care of a patient who was in his late 80s, who was run over in a parking lot at a casino. And I was told that the victim case was being investigated as a, as a hate crime. I mean, how awful and egregious is that? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was such a overwhelming and harrowing time. It was beyond difficult to care for these patients and support their families and compartmentalize my own feelings. Mm -hmm. I mean, I couldn't help but think about my parents, my older relatives, and other elderly folks in my community and how they're at risk of being attacked. Mm -hmm. And I felt... Oh, no, I was going to say that that did happen, right? Like last year with your mom while abroad. So I think not only did you see that in your work setting, you actually experienced it personally, having your mom, your loved one, being a victim of a hate crime. Yes, unfortunately that did happen. In a foreign country, and there was a lot of cultural barriers and language issues, and that was definitely a hard experience and I, I'm still going through the racism induced trauma that resulted from that 
and my mom is okay, thank goodness, but I still feel like emotional survival is a full-time endeavor, whether I'm at work or at home. Right. That's the mental load that we carry, and especially for you, for you to have to experience that in a workplace. Um, I'm speechless because it's so heartbreaking to hear this. Did it, I, I see you have a... Did it get better? I mean, you know, for me, I'm a former television news reporter. And there's a saying, if it bleeds, it leads. So that's typically, you know, what kind of goes on the screen. And I remember just seeing that and um, uh, in, in, in one of the shootings that happened here in, in Los Angeles uh, in Monterey Park, I was helping like the news reporters like with how to spell or how to pronounce the victims' names and stuff like that. So it was really just, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to feel or know or how to explain that feeling, but I would love to know whether that has improved from that, that really intense and saturated moment, or do we still, do you still see hints of that, the both of you, um, where that discrimination, the hatred kind of still flow through or has it normalized per se? It, it, I really can't tell. The media no longer talks about it as much anymore. I don't know about you, Lisa, but I feel like it has improved. Um, I feel like I'm not being scapegoated like it was during the beginning of the pandemic. Um, people seem nicer to me um, since the pandemic is waning. However... Racism still lingers, and I think because of the tensions between U.S. and China, I think we'll continue to see a resurgence I of anti-Asian hate. I mean, two nights ago, somebody yelled at me and used a racial slur that I had to look up. I wasn't even sure what it was. Yeah. Wow. Ray told me that. I'm so sorry. Um, but... I. I don't want to sound callous, but I feel like I'm just getting used to it. This is a new norm for me. I'm sorry. But you should, but you shouldn't have to experience that. And in in many ways, it feels like we're going backwards because, or maybe it's it was always there. We just didn't have this awareness until the racial reckoning, or you know, at the peak of anti API hate that there's more attention. But like you said, well, racism is still there and microaggressions are still there. Maybe this is not the best way to word it, but you had said we shouldn't experience this. Well, what if it is meant to be something where we experience in order for us to get to the other side? Because because of all the experiences that we've had, we now know there is more racism and that's how people feel. And especially when it's like in a pressure cooker of stress and like just so many emotions and chaos and all this stuff. But isn't that a good thing where we've highlighted something where, wow, like this is a problem that we really need to recognize. And maybe, I don't know, Lisa, you want to chime in a little bit more, but I, I see it as a, it really sucks that we went through this. Yeah. But like, 
how can we how we how can we take it from a learning experience to go how do we prevent this in the future how do we educate people in the future yeah i guess from like an optimist point of view it's like i don't know like you said we might not be able to like we're human and this is like a pattern that we have and not just like uh hate against Asians, but it happens to so many other minorities, unfortunately. And I think we can probably historically see a pattern of it and like resurgence with like different different political events that happen in the world. And we'll see it highlighted and captured, like emphasized in social media. So I don't know if it's like actually like an increase or just like we're capturing it more. I- but because it happened, um, it it can be an educational opportunity like what we talked about earlier in the beginning of just like how do we prevent it and like I like you're identifying the fracture of like how this could happen again not just to us but someone else but like how do we address it like from like one person like you know within your own community like how do we spread that like how do we have those conversations before things happen how do we when we there's tiny misunderstandings like how do we mend those before they become like a huge like rifts or whatever it is um like how do we just piece things together for people easily like there's like a few of us in the emergency department asian americans and i feel like we kind of are a little bit of like ambassadors and we can kind of like help you know fill in and connect with our our coworkers, our peers um in a way i guess that's kind of how i see it i think I think the healing and the change begin by holding yourselves to higher standards by having like a voice. I had to learn to stand up for myself and not shut down um, during circumstances where somebody's using, you know, derogatory language or pejoratives and just stopping the abuse immediately and holding people accountable of their actions. I love you like as Asians and Asian Americans, you know, we come from a culture in the face of adversity, you just, you, you just, you're told to keep your head down. Yeah. Don't get into trouble, cope by internalizing your problems. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think that the silence and the acquiescence stems from a culture that is scared of fear, shame, and avoidance. Mm-hmm. And it's very detrimental to our community and it contributes to this uphill battle of fighting existing racial biases in it and inequity i agree i wholeheartedly agree and i was so proud of our community for going out and protesting and marching to combat see that like no like i to your point head down and when we saw those protests i was like oh my gosh we're like finally speaking up or just very powerful for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I but I was we- also very uncomfortable, though. I was uncomfortable speaking, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Like, I'm like, that's great, but you guys. <laughs> but I, I candidly had a, had a hard time to, like, vocalize that. It took me a yeah. while. Yeah, I felt like my subconscious during that period, and um, not just, like, as a medical worker, but just in general, like, a civilian, I'm like, wow, I my subconscious was speaking very loudly, like, I'm very uncomfortable with this, but where are all these thoughts and voices coming from? Like, oh, my community, my mom, my 
grandma when she was alive um i didn't know how deeply ingrained it was and in this time it was speaking very loudly and it was making my body feel things like oh my mind was definitely like this is the right thing to do but i felt like i had to unlearn like i was like i need to unlearn all of these things that my community has been teaching me because it's not it needs to be i need to pause that <laughs> at this time you know we need to speak up and act I'm, I'm so glad you brought up unlearned. That's one thing. Oh, keyword. Yeah, we did have to unlearn in order to fight the racism, the hate um, mm. that was casted upon us. Um, I mean, I think, um, and Lisa, I'd love to learn about your story, but I think a question for Fee before we move in on to you is, um, I mean, you talk about owning your voice uh, in order to fight this. Like, did you, what are other ways you feel like you're able to kind of break through all of that negativity to own your voice, be authentic, and be proud of the culture when everything seems to be, you know, just putting you down? I guess over time, you're just you're just tired you're tired of the beings and you know i've learned through my parents that yeah like things will just get better you just have to get through the hardship and over time i can't i can't just not say anything not do anything sit in silence and i felt it to be very difficult to put myself first to <laughs> kind of understand the importance of self-actualization and to be authentic and to stand up for myself and say, this is, this is not okay. I'm not going to do this. Um, I'm not going to allow you to use me like a rag doll, a punching bag. And even though it goes against my culture and every fiber of my being, yeah, I really just, I, it, it was very freeing and rewarding to just, find my voice finally and create these boundaries that I've never put up. I love that. I think that's super encouraging for our listeners to hear and I think very inspiring as well. And I know that's something I'm working on too is owning my voice and finding my voice. I think that's all also evolving. Um, and like it, we, we talked about the authenticity and, you know, with, with you, Lisa, having the background that you had shared, being Asian American, working in healthcare, also being, you know, an an LGBTQ person, was probably I don't know difficult in some sense, right? To navigate growing up, being taught one thing, and then having to talk to your parents about it or whatever. How how was that? story like and also talk to us about figuring out your authentic self when things you didn't have a playbook really yeah um yeah speaking of not having a playbook I felt like I wasn't I'm an immigrant myself I'm not a first generation and I felt like you know as a kid whose parents divorced when I was five I had just immigrated to the U.S. and that was already a big struggle for me and being separated by, I was with my mom, so I'd, I 
thought I didn't know when I was going to ever see my dad again, you know, and so I was figuring out how to be assimilating, you know, as all of us are did our assimilation. Um, I was figuring out how to be an American kid without disowning my heritage, which I felt like I kind of did because growing up, it's hard juggling the biculture. Um, and then, and then it didn't, it took me 21 years to realize that all the people that were gay, like that word was who I was, but I, I didn't know that identified as that word, but I always knew that I was um, different and I had feelings for girls when I was, you know, having crushes on boys and there was no playbook for all of the layers of who I was, you know, and that was hard. And, you know, as an Asian kid, you don't really get to mostly, I think people don't get to communicate with their parents and especially in the early years. So I was, felt like I was just going through all of that until college where everyone's asking questions and talking, wanting to know about you. And that's when you unravel um, all of the bits and pieces of like who you're supposed to be. But um, I, so I felt like a lot of like the immigrating and assimilating and all of that kind of helped, you you know, build character for me. And then I just felt like I experienced a lot of the stereotypical, like all of the things we talked about with Fiona, I felt like I was like resonating a lot of because being Asian myself, I felt like I, I was, you know, fighting a lot of like the stereotypes, like the voices in our head from our culture. Like they're so mm-hmm. deeply ingrained, right? Obligations and like guilt and wanting to make our parents proud. And then there's not just my parents or my mom. My dad was in Taiwan, so he wasn't a part of my life. But all of the other Asian families, I felt like I was like I owed something to the greater Asian community, you know, having to be the smartest, going to the best schools. And if you didn't, it, it defined something of who you were. And it, it was scary when I was realizing, I don't know if I'm like all the other girls. <laughs> and I was like, oh, but I didn't really think about that till college. But finding about that was like, it felt like a bomb dropped because I was like, <laughs> like, I think my friends would be fine. But like, how is that going to affect the rest of my life? Like, what about those like, you know, the picture perfect, like people dreaming about marrying a, a dude and all that stuff. I was like, I never envisioned those things. And I was just like, am I just like on this dark path alone? And and then my mom doesn't know anything about that. And I didn't know anyone, no role models in my life, you know? And I mean, just even being Asian American, that's a whole nother episode, I think. But just like, there isn't a lot of representation of who we are on screen. And then also... Mm-hmm. Um, being queer as well and um, it's just hard you kind of feel like you're walking around in a dark dimly lit room and you're just having to like do your best and I felt like a lot of how did you get to the bright side of it because I recall before you talked about finally being able to let go of let go of the shame right all these voices in our head yeah please tell I'm still I'm still figuring out so I think um, like my life, I think I've just always been a very optimistic person. So even when things were really shitty, I think I just, oh, I don't know. Well, I think podcasters, you love that word, right? I don't, um, but I think naturally being optimist, I always sought out like all the resources that I could. I had always really great people that I selected to keep in my life that were open to listening and to being like a safe space for me to talk through. And, and I feel like our generation college, I got very lucky. So many people were so supportive when I came out. My sisters, my 
best friend and confidant and she was the first person that I came out to and it was so easy so simple uh, my sister is my rock and she really helped me and um, I just realized then the last decade so I'm 33 but the last decade I just um, somehow found a way to realizing like if I just lived as bravely and authentically somehow things would fall to where they needed to be and if I and in, in another way, I felt like I was kind of um, conflicted with maybe some of the cultural things from our from from being Asian. If I and it felt kind of weird for me, but I was like, if I can convince them, and I don't know who them were, it was, it was like people that you know don't that are up against the LGBTQ community. Like, if I could convince them I'm a good person, I could convince them to love me. And there was always like these voices in my head, like, why do I have to convince people? Like, yeah. I have equal rights. Like, I'm a person. Like, I can love whoever I want to be. I can't choose, like, who I love. And that also coincides with, like, being Asian. Like, we can't choose, like, our ethnicity. And I was like, all of these things, I realized, like, it's out of my hands. I think I just realized from the beginning that, like, I just can't every day, like, let the other people, like, my mom or, like, the other community that's gonna be you know displeased so I felt like it was so much easier to just like be who I was gonna be and just fight the fight and somehow people will I'll find a way to have people love me regardless but I remember thinking like I don't know at what cost but it felt like it was gonna hurt either way the road that I was gonna be on but it would hurt less if I didn't like disown my value mm -hmm. so it was like pick the battle they're both gonna be painful but one is going to feel better at the end I think it's like your honor and like your dignity which is something we practice so much in nursing um that I think sometimes gets overlooked but we do talk a lot about like when you work with like the great nurses there's a lot of like oh we need to give dignity to this person simple thing as close the curtain when we're changing them you know and end of life care or just um when families are around and when they're at the end on um, what that all means so I felt like a lot of that is kind of like all intertwined when you're thinking about yourself and like self-love so I think I just embraced a lot of that early on my mom was was always like my the big project and it's taking a long time to actually see all the growth that she made and I feel like it was a really huge payoff that you know I I've been able to kind of like guide her in a way and she didn't always respond well but I think she did a lot of her own self-reflection and it's really cool to actually see like positive like changes from that um it's still sometimes a shock but it shows that like parents are humans and as someone who it was so like had her own ingrained like at least from her parents like old school ways like, she, didn't, she probably doesn't know anyone that's gay she probably never got to ask those questions but she had to find a way to talk to me about it and I had to be patient I'm like she she doesn't read the book she doesn't have social media and I have to be an ambassador for my community to like be vulnerable to share that because it could save my relationship with my mom and I don't know just allow me to be happy like I wanted to have harmony with my mom but this was going to be bigger than us too mm -hmm. it's always about that like mm -hmm. you're like spreading that love and then if she understands my aunt's can learn from my mom and then it kind of like a ripple effect it's invisible but I feel like it happens kind of like 
what Fiona was talking about, just like when you fight the fight, when we stand together, maybe somewhere that spills over to the next, it inspires something in the next. Yep. We start, yep. I don't know. It's like this yeah. whole like ripple that will go I, on the next decade or I don't know. I've been, I've been taking notes and just how after this call, I know I'm going to have like some time to reflect because y'all have given me a lot of things to think about on essentially this authentic self. Um, and then we'll, we'll, I'd love to hear your feedback as far as, or your input as far as like moving forward in that, that next step to, to that more inclusive world or what you can do individually. But something that I wrote up and one, it's sometimes we need to, to face major challenges. And I'm not trying to discount what happened, huh. but if we take a look at like a lot of major history events, like a lot of things we had to go to like the worst of the worst for, you know, I think what you said to put our boundaries up, to be able to speak up. Like, I think we've like had enough. And I think that was an important moment where that was a huge disruptor to move forward to the authentic self because if we were in a comfortable mode all the time i don't think change would necessarily happen right so didn't want to discount it but i think there is a value as to what happened because now we know we don't want to go back there hmm. um another one i think two more things that i learned was you know we're all in our 30s we're all kind of figuring out i'm i'm first generation my parents, well, we all immigrated here, but I, I consider myself first generation, I suppose. But what I love about where we're at is we could be helping write someone else's survival book. <laughs> it was hard. Like, it's still hard, actually. I'm still figuring out, like, I feel like I'm never good enough. Like, when the hell am I ever going to be good enough? And and hopefully this these types of conversation will Hopefully someone else in the other line will go like, man, I feel good. Like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. Like, this is now I can learn from you guys. Um, and I, I don't know if that's, I think um, being good enough, being good enough is what kept us, um, I don't know, like held us back. Because I think what we learn from this is instead of trying to be good enough, just try to be yourself. Right. And like what Lisa was saying, when you did, you, I mean, it was hard. It was really hard. But eventually, the people around you, your loved ones, your mom, did grow and, you know, accepted you for who you are. Um, so I think us trying to be good enough is what kind of holds us back sometimes because we have all this pressure as Asian Americans to succeed or because we are immigrants and our parents work so hard to get us here. Um and sometimes it's not about being good enough. It's just being ourselves. And if we could be happy, I think those of us around us would be happy for us and will accept us. Mm -hmm. That was actually a note where, like, the, you had said, Lisa, people will find a way to love me. Like, they'll get there eventually. I think something along those lines, I thought that was, that was powerful. Um, <laughs> I, um, but, like, in terms of concluding and wrapping this up and having all these conversations tied together to be our authentic selves, do the both of you have any last words of like advice or 
or comment about moving forward in our lives and being able to embrace the people we want to be. See, well, standing up, you know, for yourself and finding a voice is just the beginning. And I think that's just a catalyst to something bigger. I feel like as an Asian American community, we need to join hands and tackle racial biases, harmful rhetoric and hate Mm -hmm. by, you know, politically, actually like finding a seat at the table because building political power and increasing representation is when we will finally see progress. Yeah. Vote people. Right. And, and also in addition to that, just like on an everyday basis, like just find a way to be, use like kinder language for yourself when you talk, I think in your subconscious and also just also returning the favor to like the close people around us, because I feel like therapeutic language does keep those, nurture those connections and could help the next person who's, who's between like a friend or a foe it could make a difference. And then also just like speaking up for yourself, love yourself, like embrace who you are. And then people will find a way if they're going to love you, they're going to stay. If not, then you keep moving forward. Like you can't please everybody and you, you have to, you have to love yourself first. That's just like, I think really the key. And you find that I think in your thirties, it's not easy, but um, I think through the hardship, you realize like that's the, the key. And then you can do everything else and help the community. We appreciate you both sharing your stories. I think it's very powerful. It gives us a lot to not only think about, but for me personally, what now I'm just thinking homework, what to do internally to to get to that point of self-actualization, being happy, um, or and once whether I'm in that journey or whether I figured it out, to be able to help someone who might be struggling with that. So I appreciate you both, truly. Yeah, this has been so, I think, enlightening, so healing, um, so many ways. I can't wait for our listeners to hear what Lisa and Fee have to say, because I think they're so powerful and so inspirational because you you both went through such dark times, but you know, you show so much resilience and give us so much hope. Um, so thank you for sharing all of that with us um, and being your authentic selves. And we hope our listeners can can do that too.